Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, I would ask that you turn to Exodus chapter 8. If you do not have a Bible, there are some available on the back table. There are some simple resources back there available as well. Please feel free to take any number of them that would help you. Uh, I had to go back there and take some of the resources of pens as clipboards as I saw the band's music blowing all over the place. So <clears throat> I, think we're, I think we're good. Three is probably good. Exodus chapter 8. We have been journeying through the book of Exodus for... I'm fine. I got pens. We're good. Yeah, thank you so much, Kelly. Uh, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus. And we find ourselves in Exodus 8 today. The plagues are being visited on Egypt. And as we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 8, I want to remind us that the theme we've been looking at as we journey through Exodus is that God is not a God. He is God. But to say it with proper words in English, which I don't do too well all the time, he is a God who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. God is one who delivers redeems, and dwells with his people. As we find ourselves in Exodus, the plague's now being visited just to bring us up to speed. Perhaps you're joining us today for the first time or you've missed a few. Where are we at in Exodus? God has heard the cry of his people. God has sent Moses. He called Moses who fled Egypt, who was raised as an Egyptian and fled, the Bible tells us, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of Israel than to be raised in the house of Pharaoh. He has fled Egypt because he struck an Egyptian and killed him and fled as a murderer. Pharaoh sought him, so he left. In his exile, 40 years in the land of Midian, God met Moses on what we would say is Mount Sinai. It says the mountain of God. He meets him on the mountain, calls him and says, Moses, I'm sending you to lead my people out of Egypt. I've heard their cry. I know their affliction. I've seen their trouble. And I'm going to deliver my people. I have come down, Exodus chapter 3, I think verse 10. I have come down to deliver my people. He's going to send Moses to do this, but Moses is a bit reluctant to go back to Pharaoh because he's a wanted man. By Pharaoh, God assures him, he's dead. Go back to Egypt. I'm using you to deliver my people from their bondage. The king of Egypt, as Moses encounters him when he returns, the king of Egypt has a hardened heart to the Lord. He has a hardened heart to the things of God. He has a hardened heart to what Moses says to him. He says he will not let Israel go. I will not let these people go. I am God in Egypt. There is no other God. I am God. Egypt being a nation at the time in the ancient East that worshiped many gods, Pharaoh being one of them. Now God, as he had said he would do, is laying his hand of judgment on Egypt and on Pharaoh. The plagues that are coming on them are not just a, I will put pressure on you until you do what I want. The hand of God on Egypt is God's judgment on them for their disobedience and their wickedness before God. God has now, we saw a demonstration of his power in the staffs that became serpents. And then we saw the first plague where the Bible says all of the waters in Egypt turned to blood 
That has happened. And now in the second plague, would you read with me Exodus chapter 8? We're going to read 1 through 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses uh, and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, verse five, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh, verse 8, called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me. When am I to plead for you and for your people, for your servants and for your people, that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile? And he said to him, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you today, thankful to gather together in the center of town, thankful to worship you. But Father, in this moment, we are coming to you seeking your help, God, the help of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to help us learn from your word. Father, I pray that you would speak to every heart, to every mind, to every spirit, to every trouble that is here today. Father, in a way that only you can do, I pray that your spirit would minister through the truth of your word. God, I pray that as we worship you through the preaching of your word, Father, I pray that sinners would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray, God, that holiness would be promoted among your people, and I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It is in his name we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon, I warned you when we worked through the first plague in chapter 7 a couple weeks ago, and the Nile stank. I like to title the sermons from the text, and I pulled this one. It seemed fitting, the first plague and the Nile stank, and the second plague and the land stank. You can see it right there. I don't know what version you may have in front of you, but the ESV says in verse 14, and the land stank. I want us to see one clear point from today's text Pastor, you only have one point today? I did not say that. I said I want you to see one clear point. 
I want you to see this clearly, and, and myself as well as I prepared and prayed through this and worked through this, I wanted to realize this more in my own life. I want us to see that recognizing the Lord does not equate obedience, repentance, salvation. The recognition of the Lord does not equate to obedience and repentance and salvation. We see at the end of chapter 7, I don't know, on my page, it's right at the top of the page, 7 verse 25, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. And I want us to remember, it's very important for us to remember, how did God strike the Nile? Completely. He struck all of the waters of Egypt. The Bible says all the waters of Egypt turned to blood. It's been seven days since that happened. And do you know what the scripture does not tell us? It does not tell us how long all of the water remained blood simply tells us that seven days had passed. Did, in, a, in a moment, God turned all the water to blood, and in a moment, he could have turned it all back, but we don't really know. What we do know is that after seven days since the Nile had been struck, and I want us to remember, it's very important, remember that all the fish in the Nile died. Remember that there were no waters in the homes. They were digging to try and find water, and did they find it? The Bible doesn't say, but they had none to drink, and they hated their precious Nile River. Seven full days have passed, and then God says, you can see in verse 1 to Moses, go to Pharaoh. Again. I wonder if Moses thought, again? Again. Well, the first one didn't work. Go again. Go to Pharaoh again and say, this is important. If you're a note taker, if you're a writer in your Bible, which I love to write and mark, go and say to him, thus says the Lord. That's an extremely important phrase as we journey through the plagues here. Moses is going declaring not his word and not his will for the people of Israel. He is declaring God's word. Thus says the Lord. And look, here's the phrase that we looked at a couple of weeks ago as well. Let my people go that they may serve me. The purpose of the relief and the deliverance, the purpose of the redemption, the purpose of God dwelling with his people, the purpose of it all is his glory through the worship of his name by his people. God is saying to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. To this point, Pharaoh has been disobedient. And the interesting thing is in this text, if you look and read back over it as we work through it, you're not going to see a response from Pharaoh when Moses says to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or he's going to strike your nation again. There's no response. We simply read the text and see Pharaoh did not obey a second time. He does not let him go to this point. He has been disobedient to the Lord and God again tells him, look, it says right in verse two, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Those who disobey God should expect his judgment. The first plague came because God said, let my people go that they may serve me or I will strike the Nile. I'm not going to let them go. Fine. Strike the Nile. Now, seven days later, let my people go that they may serve me or I will strike your country with frogs. He disobeys. And as we see the frogs come, those who disobey the word of God should expect the judgment of God. Christian, I want you to hear something extremely important that's written in here. If we're paying attention, you are given the warning from God. You, Christian, have been given God's warning 
to give to the world. These people driving by here this morning have absolutely no idea what we're doing. They don't understand it. It makes no sense to them. And we have been given the warning, obey God. Obey the Lord God. Moses is gone. Obey or the land will be struck. Listen, listen. People living in disobedience should expect the wrath of God and the people living in disobedience are not expecting that judgment or wrath right now. They don't know and we have been given that warning to sound to them. Repent and obey the Lord. The opportunity to obey is given. Look at the words. Say to Pharaoh, if you refuse. Remember that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh's heart is hard toward God. And here God, if you obey, but he doesn't because his hardness of heart will not let him. The opportunity to obey is given. And from what happens, we understand that Pharaoh refuses. And so the plague comes on Egypt. Look what he says. The frogs will come, verse four, upon you, your people, and all your servants. I want us to pay very careful attention to the extent, again, of the second plague. Words that are going to be fairly familiar from the first plague. The first plague consumed the waters of Egypt. Now they shall come upon all of the people in the land. We are not told, and this is important in a couple weeks especially, we are not told that God's people, the children of Israel, were spared from the frogs. It's likely, though it's not in here, so let's be very careful. It's likely that they were not because Moses is very careful to tell us. You can see it as it happens. Uh, I think it's down in 20 with the flies where it first happens. God says, but in Goshen, where my people are, there will be no flies. And a separation happens. So we're going to see as that comes along with the frogs. We don't know if Israel is affected or not. We know that Moses, by God, told Pharaoh, they're going to come on everyone. You, your people, your servants, the land is going to be covered with them. Verse six, covered the land of Egypt. Look at the extent, verse three, into Pharaoh's house, into his bedroom, onto his bed, onto, into the houses of his servants, into the houses of his people, into the ovens. You ever cooked a frog? Somebody thought, yeah, frog legs. Nah, man, that's like butter and seasoning and all that stuff, and it's really yummy. I'm talking about like a frog jumped into your oven. You didn't know it. Your kids were playing, and there's a toad, and all of a sudden you're baking it. That ever happened to you? It's never happened to me either, thankfully. Out of all the things that could happen, that one hasn't. Can you imagine the smell of frogs in ovens? Like, I can't imagine how awful that sound that would have smelled. And it says that they jumped into not only the ovens, it says they jumped into the kneading bowls. So here they are making bread, and the frogs are jumping into the kneading bowls into the bread, into the bowls, into the ovens, into the beds, onto the beds, into the bedrooms. Everywhere you go, there's frogs. I know what happens when one motivated child gets their hand on a frog. Look, like people are, I don't know why, well, don't be scared of frogs. But what do we say? Don't touch it, they're gross. Don't let the frog pee on you, you'll get warts. Like, ugh. go put it in the tall grass. This is what happens, this is almost daily at our home. Go put the frog in the tall grass and wash your hands with warm water and soap, right? Frogs are fun, frogs are cool, but frogs that consume your life and cover every surface area you enjoy are not cool. 
They will cover the land. They will come upon Pharaoh, on his people, on his servants. And we are probably thinking, oh, you know, it's not as bad as water being blood. Maybe worse. I'm not made up yet. It's like if we were in, it would have been great if a frog had decided to come up out of the river and join us this morning. But like, imagine the Bible says the land was covered with them. I'm not talking about finding a frog. Covered. Sit down on a frog. Grab a clean towel and some frogs. Try to eat and frogs. Are you getting the picture? And frogs, are, they make messes. This is, this is gross. And God directs Moses to tell Aaron, look where the frogs come from. Pay attention to what's happening. God is, man, he's awesome. Look what he says. The Nile shall swarm with frogs. I didn't look into, this is actually going to be something I'm going to have to research this, this week. I have a feeling that there's probably something negative with frogs in Egypt. I want to apologize to you for not finding that out before this moment. I didn't. But I kind of feel like, just like the Nile was struck and the Nile is a god, I feel like there's probably something negative in ancient Near East Egypt with frogs. And now God says very specifically, your Nile is what will produce the frogs everywhere. The frogs will come out. And look what, look what else happens. And he'll come out, verse five, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff. Look what he says, over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools that exactly one week ago I turned into blood. And everything that was blood is now going to produce a frog. Back in uh, the last chapter, I think it's verse 19. It is, I wrote it down. Good, good job, you did well, pastor, thank you. Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, over the ponds, it all became blood and now it will all produce frogs and the frogs will come up over the land because Pharaoh is refusing to obey God a second time. A second plague happens because he is refusing to obey God. And what else happens again? And the magicians did the same by their secret arts. Well, yeah, it's not hard to make more frogs come out of where frogs are coming from. Like just with the first plague, when all of the water is already blood and they're pouring out more blood. Look, we made blood too, Pharaoh. We got some frogs too. It's interesting. I think that Moses is wanting us to see very clearly how hard the kingdom of darkness attempts to mimic the kingdom of light. And in not many verses from now, we're going to see those same magicians who threw down their staffs that became serpents, who poured out water when it became blood, who brought frogs up on the land. In 10 short verses, they're going to say, this is the finger of God and we cannot do it. No, your mimicry is over. God will not be mocked. God will not be mimicked. No, you, no, you can't do it. I have not given the ability to you to be able to perform by your secret arts the copy of my work in my judgment. Interesting that they said that, again, by their secret arts. But something happens different this time that didn't happen previously. I want everyone to take note of the fact that we're in the second plague. Do you remember what happened with the first one? It's quiz time. You don't have to raise your hand. I won't call on you, but pop quiz. What happened? How did Pharaoh respond to the first plague? Everything became blood. And the Bible says that Pharaoh, you're thinking about the answer. And the answer is, turned, went into his house, did not take it to heart, did not listen. Mm, all the water's blood. I don't care. I'm going back into my bedroom. Just walked away from it. Now, 
Like to me, the blood is much more serious than the frogs. To me, I'm thinking after the frogs, but maybe that's just beer after the blood. Maybe that's just me. Now, all of a sudden, the land is covered with frogs. Verse eight. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron. Have you ever put together the fact that when something goes wrong in the world, non-Christian people, unbelieving people, people that typically want nothing to do with your God, your religion, your church, or with anything, they know precisely who to contact when the world starts to melt down. Is that not fascinating? Could you please pray? We've got this crisis. Would you pray for me? Like my first question to people like that, honestly, has kind of become, why? Yes, but why? Pharaoh knows precisely who to call. Interesting though. Remember that Moses doesn't want to go into the presence of Pharaoh. I'm not sharp of tongue. I can't speak very well. I should not go. I will not go. I do not want to go before Pharaoh. God says, you're going. Aaron will talk because he talks better. So he's going to go. You're going to go. And he's been sent every time that he's gone to Pharaoh. And now Pharaoh is calling him. Get me Moses and his brother Aaron. Get them in here to me right now. Look what he says. Plead with the Lord. Pharaoh knew precisely who to go. Why? Not just because Moses and Aaron did the act that God gave them to bring the frogs on the land. Pharaoh knew. I'm at war with God and those are the two that represent him. Get them before me now. Don't ever underestimate, don't ever discredit when an unbeliever wants your presence to talk about what's going wrong in their life. That's not because of you. That is God working through you, working in you, ministering to them. We don't see a whole lot of ministry happening exactly right now. Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. So two statements are made in this short verse. One, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs. Look at the second, the end of verse eight. And I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Plead with the Lord. Is this desperate? I don't know if it's a desperate plea. Like, you're like, please ask your God to take away the frogs. You're just like, hey, you guys did this. Go out there and talk to God and get these frogs out of my land. I, I don't think that we're seeing a, a humbling of a, I need your help, guys. I'm in a bad way because of my refusal to obey your God, but I think you can talk to him. And I think, no, 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 plead to get them out of here. And I will, this shouldn't be seen as, Pharaoh relenting, this is, I don't have another choice here. My magicians brought these frogs up, but what did we learn about the blood? They couldn't make the blood go away. What are we learning about the frogs? The frogs came up and they brought more frogs up, but they can't make the frogs go away. Pharaoh's in a bad spot here and he needs help and he knows I've got to talk to Moses and Aaron so that they can talk to their God. If you don't think that this isn't a major reluctance on the part of Pharaoh, you are reading the scripture wrong. Pharaoh is reluctant, but he has no other choice. He has to recognize someone else is in control, and it's not me. Pharaoh's posture must be remembered. When we work through these plagues, we must 
remember Exodus 5, 2. Who is he that I should obey? I do not know him and I will not obey. His position is very clear and it must be remembered as we work through the plagues. Here he calls, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs. We need relief. Get them out of here. I want them gone. They're on my bed. They're in, they're in, my, they're in my bread. They're in the ovens. They're everywhere. Plead with him to get them out of here. How many times has an unbeliever, a person lost without faith, asked you, talk to your God for me. Pray to your God for me. We even see an occurrence like this in the New Testament where Peter is, not Peter, Philip is baptizing and a guy named Simon who's a magician gets saved and then all of a sudden he wants to buy the power of God and Peter says, you have no share in this. Your, your, heart, is in the, your heart is in bitterness. No. And Simon says to him, pray to your God for me. Listen, I hope we're going to see something really important here in a second. I hope that when somebody asks you to pray to your God for them, I hope you do. We should never be in a moment of, ah, I'll think about it. How often does that thought come to us? Let's be brutally honest. How often do we not want to pray for somebody? We don't do it right away. We say we'll do it later. We never really do. That should be a check. But we're going to see something really great here in a second with what Moses does. Plead to take away the frogs. And then I will... Let the people go. This is only the second plague. And Pharaoh is now, as the king of Egypt, ruler of the land, holding Israel under his hand, refusing to let them go. Good job, wind. Refusing to let people go. And Pharaoh is now groveling and pleading and bartering. He's not on his knees. He's not scratching the ground. But there is a recognition that he is not in control and he needs somebody else's help. He must recognize. <clears throat> this is classic. Verse 8 is classic. I made a deal with God that if he this, I'd that. You plead with God to take these frogs away and I'll obey and let his people go. Notice he doesn't even say I will obey. He just says, I'll let you go sacrifice to your Lord. I'm not doing that out of obedience. I want the frogs gone. You plead with the frogs to go away with your God and I'll let your people go. Let's make a deal. Moses, I want to make a deal with your God. Listen, write this down, memorize it. God is not a deal maker. God is not sitting on his throne bartering with man over what he will do. If man does, I will do. God is not a deal maker. He is the king. He is righteous. He dispenses judgment. He dispenses grace. He dispenses mercy. He does not barter with man for us to get those things. Plead with your God that the frogs may go, and if they go, I will let God's people go that they may serve him. Hebrews eleven six says that God rewards those who through faith in Christ seek him and obey him and fear him and trust him. God is right to punish those who do not obey, and God does not make deals. He commands obedience. God is not a deal maker. He is a commander of obedience. Plead that the frogs may go, and I will let the people go. I want us to observe. Though Pharaoh is forced to recognize God's power, right? What else is there to see? Moses and Aaron struck the Nile and here came the frogs. So now tell him to take the frogs away. He's got to recognize that power. 
as we see, Pharaoh recognizing the Lord does not equal his obedience to God. It does not equal repentance to God. It does not equal the salvation of Pharaoh and Israel. The recognition of God's power is a wonderful part of all of those things. I pray that if you're here today through faith in Christ, I pray that you have recognized the power of God. I pray that you recognize God rightly, but I pray that it goes beyond a recognition. More on that in a minute. Pharaoh recognizing the power. I like the fact that it appears to be a little bit of backbone in Moses, who has to this point been, let's admit it, a little timid in his go to Pharaoh. A little, perhaps even cowardly at times, you're going to go, I, no, no, I'm not going to go. He wants me dead. I'm scared. I don't talk good. They won't listen to me. He's got every reason to say I shouldn't go, but God says you're the one who's going to go. But look at the response and the exchange that happens here. Pharaoh, tell your God to take away the frogs. I'll let your people go. Moses, verse 9, be pleased to command me. When would you like that to happen? Fascinating. I stared at this verse for hours this week. You know what that is? God has already done a miracle in causing the frogs to come on the land. You know what he's done now? Pharaoh, I have so much power. I will let you tell me when you want those frogs to go away. Moses, when, Pharaoh, would you like me to do that? Tomorrow. That's interesting in and of itself. I'm telling you right now, if there's a frog in my bed, I ain't waiting till tomorrow. If there's frogs in my ovens and my bowls, I'm not like waiting till tomorrow. I want those gone now. And Pharaoh's like, tomorrow, why? Several scholars and historians believe that Pharaoh was hoping that it wasn't actually God and that it would just take care of itself and he could go to Moses and Aaron and say, see, see, my magicians did more powerful than your God. No, I will not let you go. Pharaoh says, tomorrow, Moses, be pleased to command me. Then in verse 10, look at what he says. This is powerful. Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like our God. This, this, is, this is Moses literally putting God's reputation on the line. Pharaoh, when do you want those frogs to go away? Tomorrow, sure. That's gonna happen so that you can know and understand there is no one. You are not like the Lord. The Lord is unlike us. There is no one like our God. Kind of seems a little bit, okay, uh, when do you want me to get rid of the frogs for you? No, 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 no. Moses knowing the power of his God, but Moses also recognizing, look what happens. Be pleased to command me, be it as you say, verse 12. So Moses and Aaron went and cried out to the Lord. Why? Oh Lord God of heaven, we've done thus. Be glorified, be honored, be exalted, God, to relieve Pharaoh and Egypt of these frogs tomorrow that he may know what's the purpose. Not that Moses is in good standing, not that Israel gets to go, that you may know that there is no one like our God Moses is aiming for in the removal of these frogs and dealing with Pharaoh. He is aiming for the glory of God. <clears throat> Moses cries out, honoring his word, cries out to the Lord, leaving a great example. Do you pray for people when they say they need prayer? Do you only pray for people that you like? Do you only pray for people you go to church with? Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs. Why? Because they were 
destroying the land of Egypt. Pharaoh wanted them gone. They're destroying the land. And what? let's see what's happening here. Moses is interceding with the Lord for his actual enemy face to face. Face to face with his enemy. Moses is now praying for the relief of his enemy. The Lord Jesus commands us, Christian, I would have us know and remember. The Lord commands us, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies. Love them. And pray for those that persecute you. Moses goes out and prays. Israel is in bondage. They are under a heavy burden. Plagues are coming on the land. And Moses goes out and doesn't intercede for further relief of his people. He's now praying for the relief of the very people who have them held captive. Could you imagine the twisted leaders in Israel being like, what are you doing? Leave the frogs on them. You're praying for their relief. And Moses says, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And the picture that I want us to see Oh, the judgment of God is severe on his enemies. But even in his judgment, even as we look at the frogs on the land, the blood on the land, and next we're going to see gnats, then we're going to see flies, then livestock's going to die, then hail's going to fall, then boils are going to come out, and eventually the firstborn in all the land without the blood on the doorpost is going to die. The judgments of God can be severe, but they are right and they are true. And even here in the judgment of God, we see, and I hope that you have known in your life, the mercy of God. In the middle of judgment, Moses pleading, crying out to God, and God extending mercy and removing the frogs. A great lesson for us to pray for our enemies. Pray for those who are your enemies, those who persecute you. And the frogs go. Interesting though, I don't think they go in the way that Pharaoh wants them to. Pharaoh said, be, Pharaoh said plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from him. I go, you know what he wanted? Well, he wanted the frogs gone. But this is judgment, not, okay, I'll make everything nice and comfortable for you. Look what happens. The Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields, God in his judgment has shown mercy by getting rid of the live frogs. It says that some would say some gathered back into the Nile and they gathered them together in heaps. Ugh. You ever drive by like a landfill? Like they do a lot of stuff to take care of the stuff we send them. Burn it and get rid of it and recycle it and all that stuff. But you drive north of Durand on the wrong day and the wind blows from the right direction, you know exactly what you're passing. And it's awful. Maybe you've driven through the heart of farmland and you're not really uh, the farm type and something has hit your nose because the farmer has just spread it on the field. You're like, oh my gosh. That's not as bad as rotting reptile carcasses. Like, go, go catch yourself a bunch of frogs, put them in a bowl, let them die, and see how they smell in a couple days. There are heaps of them. You realize what's happening here? This is still the judgment of God, the mercy of God to end the plague, the judgment of God still in the piled up heaps of frogs. You know what else is happening now? 
Now Pharaoh has a public health crisis on his hands because the pile of reptile carcasses, are they rep- they're amphibians, not reptiles. Are an- Somebody out there was correcting me. Was it you guys? I, I heard it. They're amphibians, not reptiles. There's piles of these dead frogs and people are breathing in that stench and the blood and the stuff is oozing into the ground. It's polluting the water. Disgusting. What do you think the judgment of God produces a rosebed? They're sinners in the hand of an angry God. Let my people go. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Deal with those dead fish. Deal with those dead frogs. Like they got so much dead stuff all over their land at this point. Why is he not saying, get out of my country? This is not worth it. Why? Because when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite. How many times have you been conversations with people, you're talking with someone and things are just melting down, going terrible. You can't even understand how to help them because everything is so in their life. They don't know what to say to you. Everything is so bad. You're like, oh my gosh, I think the Lord is drawing them. I'm talking with them. I'm praying with them. And as soon as one thing goes right, what do they do? Out the door. I remember, I remember September 12th, 2001. We all talk about September 11th. Yeah, that's when it all happened. You're right. Nobody knew what to do that day. But on September 12th, everyone knew what to do. And you know what they did? They flocked to churches. You know how I know? My dad's a pastor. Everybody in Durand went to churches. Everyone flocked to them. Why? Because we didn't have any idea what to do. We think that going there is probably the right thing to do. We're going to go there. So people flocked to go there. And as soon as we got comfortable again, what happened? Everybody left the churches. Just flat out left. As soon as Pharaoh saw there was respite, he hardened his heart. Notice what the Bible says. Moses is very careful to give us specific words. He, Pharaoh, hardened his heart. Oh, good, the frogs are gone. I'm not letting those people go. Problem over. Situation resolved. Those folks aren't going anywhere. Make the burden harder. It'd be interesting when we return, Lord willing, next week to Exodus 8, verse 16, the plague of the gnats. It'd be interesting to see how God follows up plague two with plague three. But for today, recognizing the Lord does not equal obedience. It does not equal repentance. It does not equal salvation. Throughout the Bible, various people, groups of people, kings, even Satan and demons recognize God. We just, in our our Wednesday Bible study a couple weeks ago, we just read about the seven sons of Siva. Jesus I know. Demons throughout the gospel account falling, what would you have to do with us, son of, son of the most high? Like they, they recognize who he is. You know why? Because they are under his control. Jesus Christ is the Lord God of heaven and hell. No power of hell operates outside of the power and the authority and the majesty of our king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, throughout history, people have recognized the Lord. But recognizing the Lord does not equate obedience. The Lord is not looking for recognition. 
This is why asking people if they believe in God is not a bad question, but it's not the best question. Do you believe in God? Yeah. Well, how, how many times do we stop? Good, good, they believe in God. There's a Christian. No, 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 dig deeper. Dig, dig deeper. Pick it apart. What do you, what do you believe about God? What about Jesus? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he died and rose from the dead and lives to save justifies you before God through faith in him? Dig deeper. Don't just stop it. Do you believe in God? God is not looking for mere name recognition. Oh, I, I know who God is. That's what Pharaoh is doing. Plead with the Lord. I recognize his power. Plead with him. In Acts 17, verse 30, the apostle Paul writes, God commands all people everywhere to repent. That's a fantastic verse. So often we think about obedience as God just wants us to obey. God just wants us to trust him. God just, no, 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 no. Let's change our thinking. God commands it. God does not want and God does not need anything. He is God and all things are his. He commands obedience. Commands people to repent. All people everywhere to repent. Well, why don't all people everywhere repent? Well, we don't have the answer that we can reconcile with that thought. We know that God commands all people to repent. We know that his people are to proclaim the gospel, that when people hear it, they will repent. Why? Verse 31 goes on and tells us, because God has fixed a day where he will judge, having raised Jesus Christ, having given assurance of it, by raising Jesus from the dead. To recognize the power of God is a good thing, but to repent of sin through faith in Jesus, to obey God, to listen to his word, to obey the command of God is more than to simply recognize who God is. Leads us to today's question. I want us to see one clear point from the text. The recognition of God is not obedience. Are you obeying the Lord? Are you obedient to God? Are you living a life of obedience to the word of God? I want you to hear me very carefully. Not are you obeying man's thoughts on God. Not are you obeying man's opinions on God's word. Are you obedient to God? When God speaks, do you obey? The old adage, when he jumps, do you ask how high? When he says go, do you say how far? He's the Lord. He doesn't make deals. He's not looking for recognition. He's commanding that you obey. Now, there are some beautiful thoughts about the commands of God. Some might be saying it's, it's hard to obey. Yeah, yeah, it is. How about a show of hands? Is it hard to obey God? Yeah, it's hard to obey God. You know what the beauty of obeying God is, though? The Bible tells us that God's commands are not burdensome. It's hard to obey, but it's not a burden. You know why it's hard to obey? Sin. Our sin complicates everything. Our sin makes it hard to obey God. Parents with young children, I love watching the young kids around here playing and running around the grass. And you know what it's like when you tell your kid to do something and they simply cannot do it. Just, just, just obey. They can't. Why? Sin has ruined us well, pastor, but it's hard to obey and we can't obey, so what's the change? The change is regeneration through faith in Jesus Christ. 
God changes our soul. The Spirit of God enables us to obey. So yeah, it's really hard to obey God. But if you are living a life of obedience to God, he has enabled you by his Spirit, by his power, through faith in Jesus Christ, to obey him. You can obey. You choose not to. You can do it. Pharaoh, if you refuse to let them go, short term, Pharaoh, if you refuse to obey, I'm bringing frogs out of the river on you. Refuses. Are you obeying God? 1 John 3 tells us the commandment of God is this. I don't want to leave it vague. We talk about the two great commandments all the time, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two great commandments Christ says in Mark 12. 1 John 3.23 says, the commandment of God is that we believe in the name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. Are you obeying God? Do you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is returning? Do you believe that it is only through his death and through his suffering and through his pain that we receive our propitiation, the biblical word, but our freedom from sin. It is only through the work of Christ that we are set free from sin. John 5, 1 John 5, 3, the command of God is not burdensome, not burdensome because the Spirit makes us able. Pastor, can you help us understand this a little bit more? To recognize God, to obey God. How do we, how do we understand? Why well, can, but I promise you're not gonna probably like my illustration. The entire premise of our nation, the United States of America, our civilization, our existence, every person here would answer, this country was founded on biblical principle. This is a Christian nation. That is recognition of God. Every person who answers the question, well, we're, we're a godly nation, we're a Christian nation built on biblical principles. That is recognition of God. Now look around, take mental stock and look around at our nation. How is that recognition working out among us? I made a few quick, simple notes. Just quick ones from maybe even the past two weeks' headlines. Longer than that. We've legalized homosexual marriage. God forbids it. We've legalized, though we've said as a nation it can't be protected, we've legalized the murder of unborn children. God says he hates it. We are allowing children to determine their gender. We are allowing people to choose their pronouns. God says, I have made them male and female. I have done that. We, we are so upside down as a nation we have been thinking for too long that we're the promised land of God when the reality is we're much more like Pharaoh in Egypt than the promised land of God. And that is what happens when you recognize God but do not obey God. We are not a nation that is obedient to the Lord God. So we probably should work on wiping our tongues clean of the we're a Christian godly nation because Christian godly people obey God. So now that I've given you that very uncomfortable illustration this federal holiday weekend, how about you? Sitting here right now today, are you obeying God? 
Do you recognize the Lord or are you obeying him? I believe in God. I go to church. Good. That's great. Praise the Lord. Do you obey him? Do you obey the Lord? Are you living a life of repentance toward God? Are you living a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are your thoughts and actions, your conduct, are they directed by God's word? Are they motivated by God's grace to you? Are you recognizing or are you obeying? God does not want recognition. He wants your obedience. Recognizing God says, I don't want to go to hell. Obeying God says, Lord Jesus, I love you. You are my king. It is your right to do with me as you please, but I love you and I want to be with you. I want to tell people about you and I want to obey you for my life and I want to spend eternity with you. Are you recognizing God or are you obeying God? Seeing Pharaoh feign his obedience to God, what does he say? Plead with the Lord to take the frogs away and I'll let the people go. No, just kidding. There's some rest in the land. Seeing Pharaoh do that should direct our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Having been raised from the dead, God exalted him to the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Are you obeying God or are you recognizing God? Father, I come before you today on behalf of those that are here gathered. And as we, every soul, have to wrestle with the question, are we simply recognizing who you are? Are we giving you lip service or are we being obedient to you as your people? Father, I pray that your spirit would convict us and challenge us. And I pray that your people would obey you, God, and not just recognize you. Father, for those that are here that may not have faith in you, I pray, God, that through the preaching of your word, the singing of your praise, I pray that they have come to see themselves in the light of you. Perhaps there are those here who are simply recognizing you. Father, I pray that you would give them the strength to repent of that and to obey you, to believe in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his res resurrection, your forgiveness for sin because of his work. Father, and that you would save them. Father, I pray, I pray that you would help the village church to be a church that obeys you and does not just simply recognize you. Father, I pray that through our witness and our ministry, people would obey you. Father, I pray that we would learn to see that obeying you is not simply you demanding of us, that obedience to you fosters such deep love for you. We understand your love for us in a new way as we obey you. Help us, Father. Be with us as we go. We thank you for holding the rain, for the weather today. God, be glorified, be honored. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.